scripture reading will be out of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Uh, again, that is Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. Blessed be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in, our, in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view uh, to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been uh, predestined according to his purpose, who, who works all things after the, the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were all the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Uh, in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having, who, uh, having also believed, you were uh, sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of your of promise who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for reading that, Wyatt uh, and, and Isaac in first service. Uh, that's not an easy passage to read through, number one. And our guys did a great job and opened up uh, an excellent piece of scripture that I, I want us to delve into this morning. And in preparation for this, I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about gifts. You thought about gifts and what makes a good gift a good gift. Have you ever thought about just that question and when you're trying to give a gift maybe to your significant other or to somebody special in your life? And I have this sneaking suspicion that a lot of at least the males present here have struggled with this question when thinking about our spouses and what to give them on special occasions. Is, is that a wrong assumption? No, maybe, maybe so. And, and, and I'm not saying that our ladies might not struggle to give good gifts or that our guys can't give good gifts. I just have a hunch. I just have a hunch that our male audience might struggle with that a little bit more than our ladies do. And why is that, do you think? I have an answer. Tell me if you think that this response is correct here. I think that it is because women tend to be more relationally oriented and they tend to pay attention more to the details about the special people in their lives than men do. Is, is that a fairly accurate statement? Now, I get it. It's broad spectrum, but I, I think that that pretty, pretty much falls true. And then if, if you really want to give a good gift and you'll pay attention to the timing, you can make that gift even more special, can't you? I don't have that talent. That is not who I am. If you received a gift from me, it might look something like this. Because I think it's hilarious, right? Bacon toothpaste, I think that's funny. It says nothing about our relationship, right? But, but I'm just not, I'm not a very good gift giver. Maybe, the, maybe a, a thumb wrestling arena. Would that be fun? Now, I probably wouldn't give you a rock, but that was a thing back in the 70s, wasn't it? Giving out pet rocks to people. 
I might, I might give you a gift card, or if you're really special to me, I might give you the choice between a gift card or cash, right? Okay, so I'm not a very good gift giver is is the point that I'm trying to make here, but I want to contrast that with the God who is an excellent gift giver. He gave us Christ at just the right time, and it was such a special gift. And Charles helped us to kick off this series at Ephesians last week, this out-of-this-world life, and he asked us these questions. Are we thinking about the invisible world and our place in it appropriately, and then how it affects our living right now? And this morning, I want to ask us to consider the relationship that has given us that citizenship in the heavenly places with God. And we find ourselves in a very beautiful but challenging section of Scripture that Wyatt just read for us. And when I read this section of Scripture, I see a God that has paid such close attention to the truest longing and the need of the human experience that He gave us the perfect gift. He gave us Christ Himself. And where I fail as a good gift to giver, God is incredibly successful. He is a really, really good gift giver. What we see in this opening passage in verse 3 where Paul presents us with this gift that God gave us in Christ to all the believers, that Paul is so enthralled with how God has communicated love to you and to me through Christ that he has to unpack it for us in the next several verses. So, in the following verses, after 3, it's as though he's presenting and helping us to unwrap this relational gift of Christ and then examining it from multiple different out- angles. Maybe even looking at it like a gem, you know, you have different facets of a gem and just kind of considering all of the different angles of this gift of Christ that we're looking at. And as with the rest of Ephesians, this blessing and this gift of Jesus from God expresses to us something that is beyond the scope of our human understanding and is therefore sometimes challenging for us to conceive of. It is a gift that is calling us into not just an out-of-this-world life, but an out-of-this-world relationship. So let's read again the initial sentences of this blessing in Christ, starting in verse 3 and 4 here. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before us. And so we, right out of the gate, we see that God has chosen us, and he's given us this gift of God, a gift of Christ, and it's blessed us in ways that are far beyond our physical nature surrounding you and me right now. And we're told that our blessings are in the heavenly places, or the heavenly realms, your version might say, but literally it is the heavenlies that he's talked about. In other words, there's something about this this out-of-this-world relationship that God has called us into with Christ that is incredibly special and different than our everyday experiences. And that's a challenging concept, isn't it? to think in terms of what's beyond and and where we are with all of these. It's a challenging concept. And in addition to that being a challenging concept, as we mentioned at the get-go, this is a challenging piece of, of Scripture that we have here. It's almost as though Paul has taken this big, deep breath, and he has this idea that he wants to pour out onto you and to me, and he gets all of those ideas out in one breath. In fact, if you look at it in the original language, it doesn't have any punctuation marks. And so our, our translators kind of struggle, okay, how, do, how are we going to break this up? 
And so for that reason alone, it makes it challenging. And there's a number of other challenges that we're not going to go into specifically this morning, but there's a couple that we'll head off along the way. Uh, to help us, Paul has, is going to use some key words that will give us uh, maybe a better understanding of how great of an out-of-this-world gift giver that God is. And he says that we are chosen in him. We're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy. And Paul's going to use a word here in a moment that has been misused by many to think that we have some sort of a reduced capacity for freely coming to God for our salvation. I'm going to say that again. Paul's going to use a word here in a moment that has somehow been used in the past to talk about some sort of reduced capacity for us to freely move to God for our salvation. And that's not the case. But I want you to know what he is saying with this. And this is, uh, I want you to know what this is about because it's not limiting. It's not, on the contrary, it's incredibly beautiful. Paul says in verse 5 that in love he predestined us, predestined for adoption. Predestined here does not mean that God chose particular people but then didn't choose other people. In this concept, it is an idea, it is a concept, it is a, a plan that was pre-decided. For example, if you and I were to go to Lubbock Airport and look up there on the board of all of the different places that the planes were flying, we would notice maybe there was a plane that was headed to Houston, Texas, right? That's a, that's a reasonable route. And so I, what, I, what I want you to see here is that that plane has been predestined to go to Houston. It has been predetermined that that would be the route that it would go on. Now, here's the point that I want to make with this, and I think it's the point that, that we can gather from this analogy, is that anybody has the capacity to get on that plane and go to Houston. The route has been predetermined. Your decision to get on that route has not been predetermined in that context. This is the context that Paul brings us to with this. And the best way that I know how to describe what Paul is trying to convey here is this, that God was so dedicated to humanity that before humanity ever even existed, God ensured that there would be a way back to him through his son. I'm going to say that one more time. That God was so dedicated to humanity that before humanity even existed, God ensured there would be a way back to him through his son. Just let that sink in for a moment. He was so attached to the pinnacle of his creation, you and me and all humanity, that before the words, let there be light, spoke our physical reality into existence, he decided that you were that important to him that he was going to make a way back to him, even though it would cost him the highest price, wouldn't it? His only begotten, Jesus, on a cross. He chose to make a way for you and me, even before we needed it. What a gift. How thoughtful was that? That he decided these things before you ever even knew that you needed. And Paul will say it over and over again in this passage. All praise to him, be to him, for what he has done for us. And he expresses this thought even deeper in the concept of adoption. Listen again to verses 5 and 6. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace 
with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And I want you to see here that the birth of a child, the mixing of mom and dad, and the breath of life that God gives makes a brand new, unique human being. And it is the easiest thing and the most natural thing in the world for us to immediately love those new little humans that God puts in our lives, isn't it? And it's especially easy when they're our own. What I want you to hear from me is that adoption, though, speaks an even more profound word of love and relationship, doesn't it? Adoption says, I choose you. Not because I'm forced to, but because I want to. It is the designation of an individual who doesn't share in your DNA or your genealogy or is an outsider in some other way, who then is invited in as an outsider to be just like an equal to a natural family member. In my opinion, it is the most intense and profound act of relationship that one being could give to another. And that is the act of relationship the Father has given to you and me through His Son. Because of this, our relationship with our our God is truly out of this world. We were outsiders. You get that. We were outsiders who have been invited in to share in a family relationship with God. And this relationship was only ever experienced by the Son with the Father. And now it belongs to you and to me. What an out-of-this-world gift. John, in his first epistle, is so exuberant over this thought when he says in 1 John 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. So we are. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an invitation to an out-of-this-world relationship through the beautiful gift of Christ. And I have to wonder... Have we fully embraced and reveled in that relationship that we're called into? That we get to call the king of all creation, the master of the universe. We get to call that God Father. Have you stopped and considered that lately? How special of an invitation that is. Paul will unwrap this gift for our inspection even more in verse 7 when he writes, In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And we use that word redemption a lot to talk about what God has done for us in Christ. And for good reason, right? Because that's what God has done for us in Christ. He has redeemed us. But I want to take a moment, and and, and we're going to chase a little bit of a rabbit down a trail because I really want you to appreciate what he has just said here when he says that in him we have redemption for, uh, through his blood. It's used so often in, that tech, in the text, the idea of redeem or redemption. And it's a huge part of what Christ has done for us. And so I, I want to lead us back into this idea. It, it's a beautiful, beautiful concept that stretches all the way back into the Old Testament to talk about a specific role in the patriarchal father's house. 
So in a particular household, family members and those who were associated with the house were the responsibility of the one who had the household resources. And that person had the title and responsibility of redeemer. So if someone in that house were to become marginalized for any reason, the resources at the disposal of the Redeemer were to be used to get that person who was being excluded so that they could be brought back to a fully safe and established member of that household again. What a beautiful picture, right? For example, if a person found themselves stuck in a foreign land uh, without resources, or they were forced to sell themselves into a bond servitude, or if a group had enslaved them or made them unsafe in any way, the Redeemer used whatever resources were necessary to redeem that person and reestablish their safety and their dignity under the security of that household. And typically, this was the father who had that responsibility, but if he was getting up in age, he might pass on that responsibility to maybe the eldest son or something like that. And this is why we see in the Old Testament Abraham, the patriarch, going and retrieving Lot, his nephew, when he's not safe. Even though Lot has the tendency to cause Abraham some grief, doesn't he? We see Boaz offering extraordinary gifts of of love and relationship to Ruth to make sure that she's provided for. We see the prophet Hosea reaching out to redeem and purchase back a faithless wife. Why? That's what a redeemer, empowered by God's purpose, does. He goes and retrieves, and Paul says, that's what God has done for us in Christ. He's redeemed us. In Colossians 1, Paul will put it like this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We were on the outskirts. We were out in the midst of darkness in desperate need, and God paid the very price for us to come back and be a fully established member of his household. Not only were you chosen, you were adopted, and now you are redeemed in these things. And then when we jump into verse 11, we're going to find out that all of these things have led us into this beautiful inheritance that we have. Verse 11 reads, in him we have obtained and inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And as if to draw on previous points and to emphasize the completeness of your adoption and your redemption that God has called us to, Paul says this out-of-this-world relationship comes with an inheritance. In other words, you're not some partial child on the fringe of the household. Let me say it again. You're not some partial child on the fringe of God's household. You share in the blessings that were guaranteed to full family members. In Romans 8, 17, Paul will say, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And that means the inheritance that has been granted to us will be equal to what Christ has. Just let that sink in for a moment. The inheritance that we have been granted will be equal to what Paul has. What Paul has said in both of our Ephesians passage and in Romans is that what we will get is to share an heirship along Christ himself. 
all of those blessings, all of the riches, all of the glory, and I can't even conceive of what all, everything that means, but if it belongs to Christ, it will belong to us. And that's hard for me. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around, for me to even conceive of. And I have to wonder, you know, like even though Paul is saying it, it's like I, I, I may have some trust issues with this. Right? Maybe you're in the same boat. If you're like me, uh, you're asking these questions. Wait, I'm going to get what Christ gets? That sounds maybe even unbelievable. How can I know how that I can trust that? And almost as though Paul is anticipating the statement in question of this seems too good to be true. How can I be sure this is real? Paul reminds us of a guarantee pointing to this heavenly station that we have with God. In verse 13, he will say, In him also, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Look at the bolded words up there because this helps us to parse out what he's saying. And I'm not, I'm not saying that the, that the middle part isn't important, but what he said there is, In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the imagery of this seal is that of a wax seal with an impression on it. And that impression is the owner's mark. Therefore, kind of like the letter or the package overtly belongs to the one whose mark is on it. You can see that. He says, that's who the Spirit is for you. You are the seal of the Spirit, or the Spirit is the seal for you, rather, that you have promised to something that is different and that is greater than the right here and right now of everything that you're seeing around you. And there are a number of other analogies that can help us unpack this idea. Maybe the idea of a promissory note committing to purchase something, right? Or a branded mark indicating belonging and future purpose, or even a down payment for something to reserve it for full ownership later. And this is the moment where, where I, have to, I have to share that this is kind of like this is a, an age thing. For our older audience here, older crowd in, in the family this morning, you're going to look at me and you say, oh, you're such a young buck. And then the younger ones are going to look at me and be like, what in the world are you talking about here? But back in the day, right, back in the day, if there was an item in a department store that I wanted to purchase, but I didn't have the money to purchase, I could take that item to a specific department called the... Layaway department. Okay, so we do have some people that know. I, I don't think it's that much of a thing anymore. But at that layaway department, I could take that item and put it down on the counter. And I could put a down payment on that item. And for me and for everybody else, it was to say this. That item is reserved for me. I will come back and redeem it to my possession shortly. I will redeem it to my possession fully in short order. Right? That's what the layaway department and that down payment it was like. And that's what the Spirit is for you and me. He's a down payment for what we will eventually share fully with Christ. In fact, Paul will say this exactly about what the Spirit is for us in the next verse. He'll say the Spirit is the guarantee, and some of your versions say the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The mark that you have that is proof of the existence to which you belong is the spirit that God has given you. The spirit's our guarantee. He's our down payment. 
that we are committed by God himself through Christ that this inheritance that we're to receive is real and that our world as Christians is far beyond the scope of our everyday existence and what we see. And we hear that so often. Good reason, again, we hear it very often that we've received and have been given the Spirit, but I don't want us to miss how incredible that is. In Romans 8, 11, Paul will affirm that the Spirit that you and I have is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And if it is that Spirit, it's the same Spirit that aided in creation. It's the same Spirit that enabled mankind to have His breath. It's the same Spirit that gave life inside of the young womb of Mary who was a virgin girl. It's the same Spirit that anointed Jesus at His baptism and, yes, raised Him from the grave. That's the Spirit that He's given to you and me. It's the mark that says there's something better than the things that you're normally perceiving. And that Spirit that you and I have, He's the promissory note that there's a more complete reality, a better country, an eternal, unshakable kingdom where one day we'll share in co-heirship with Jesus himself right next to God the Father. Isn't that incredible? What an amazing out-of-this-world life that you and I have been promised. What an amazing out-of-this-world relationship that God has called us to in Christ. And here's the point. Your place, Christian, where you belong, where you belong is in the heavens. When we look around, all we can perceive is this physical reality that we find ourselves in. And Paul's point here is that you, are belong, that you belong and are pledged to be with the God of all eternity in his realm. And even though you find yourself in 21st century America, your most authentic home is in the heavenly unshakable kingdom. Your ultimate reality is not one that you are just perceiving in the here and now. Your citizenship is in a reality that is more real than this one. It is in a reality that drives and surpasses and sustains the physical reality that we find ourselves in right now. With this perspective, the darkest moments that we go through we have a chance to peek behind the curtain and see that even this, whatever it is, is doable through our God, and our God can be praised. And Paul reminds us of that throughout this Scripture. He'll say, all praise be to Him. And when I consider the life that I have from God in Christ, what is it really when I have to face that hard boss? or when I feel like I've been mistreated, or traffic isn't to my liking and somebody continually cuts me off? What is death and suffering with this eternal perspective? It's me having a chance to say, God, even in this, I know what you've promised for me, so your name be praised. And Christian, if you have been buried and raised with Christ in baptism, you're already walking in that eternity. It's not fully realized yet, but you're already walking in those moments. 
Through the gift of Christ, we have been handed a brand new and fully realized relational identity. And this perfect gift calls us to an out-of-this-world relationship with the master and the creator of the universe, the Father himself. And because of this awesome gift, man, we don't want to slide back into an old, dead identity, do we? We don't want to slide into an identity that's focused on the desiring the things of this sinful world. And Paul will give us instructions later on in chapter 4 that my response to these things that he's been laying out for us is a renewed walk combating the things of this flesh and this world. But in the meantime, let's be a people who live a life of a chosen, adopted, redeemed, and sealed by the Spirit, children of God that we are. To be filled with enormous amounts of gratitude for what God has done for us in Jesus because Christ was the perfect gift that we needed and we longed for and he was given at just the right time. So praise and all glory be to God. Amen? Listen, we want to offer an invitation this morning to anybody that needs to respond to it. We stand up here ready to pray with you, ready to talk with you. And if you haven't started that relationship where you're walking in the eternity that I was talking about this morning, maybe it's a time to think in terms of maybe I do want to call Jesus the Lord of my life and be baptized into it. If you have a need this morning, would you come while we stand and sing?